4, verses 1 through 10. Uh, James once again presents us uh, with a challenging scenario where he essentially describes two kinds of friendship. Friendship with the world and friendship with God. And if you think uh, those two friendships are compatible, uh, that they can exist you know, side by side in one's life, well, James will actually compare friendship with the world with committing adultery against God. So we'll talk about what James means by friendship with the world and friendship with God. So I'll read, I'll read the passage and then pray. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. He says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not ask. I mean, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Praise God for his word. Lord, these continue to be challenging words for us. They're difficult words because they're so true of us. We hear these words and we see ourselves plainly as if in a mirror. But Lord, these words also include hope and encouragement that you give more grace. You give grace to the humble. So help us, Lord, we pray. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to submit ourselves to your ways. And help us to draw near to you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we began uh, chapter 3 in James with James addressing the issue of taming the tongue. Now, how often do we let our tongues or our words go free Uh, from the God-given restraints and turn it into a restless evil, as James says, a deadly poison where we we sadly use our words to both bless God, bless our Lord and Father, and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And we're all guilty of that to varying degrees. I know I am. And then James adds at the end of chapter 3 that when our tongues are aflame, like that, part of the cause is our own bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which cause dissension and disorder. And he calls this wisdom from below. 
And then James briefly offers a solution. The solution involves seeking God's wisdom, which he calls wisdom from above. Wisdom from James, for James isn't just something that you acquire in your head. Wisdom for James is also expressed in our behavior. If we continually to seek God's wisdom and act on it, we will then live lives characterized by purity, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, good fruits, impartiality, and sincerity. These are all uh, traits that James mentions in chapter 3. And then James calls this wisdom in action a harvest of righteousness, and the result is peace. The result is peace. And peace isn't just the absence of conflict or war. Uh, for, the, for the Christ follower, true peace is found in knowing God. It's found in friendship with God. And unfortunately, even Christians, those in the church, those who have by faith been reconciled to God by the death of Jesus on the cross, even Christians can fall into this trap of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, even among each other. Which is why James continues to address the issue in chapter 4. Because it seems that this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition uh, found in, uh, amongst James's uh, readers has actually led to fighting and not peace. So James asks the question in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So you can imagine if James was at one of these churches and he asked that question, there'd be a whole lot of finger pointing. Well, you know, that person said that and that person did this and they're just pointing fingers at each other instead of seeking peace. But James gives the answer. He says, uh, the fights among you are caused by passions that are at war within you. Uh, Another way to put it is, Passions that fight to control you. Passions that fight to control you. These passions are internal. They're selfish. They're self-seeking. Inwardly focused. And James continues in verse 2 and he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So each person wanted their own way, uh, to their own advantage. And James makes it very clear that these These struggles are not from God. Here, uh, James paints a sad picture of the church uh, as he experienced it. Fights and quarrels, desire, murder and coveting. Now, murder here uh, most likely refers to killing with words rather than literal murder. And here again, again, James may well be influenced by Jesus' words, his brother where Jesus says, you, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who hates or is angry with his brother will be liable to that same judgment. So J- Jesus is pointing out that the root or the beginning of murder is anger and hate. So he's saying, be careful with your emotions. And James, of course, is echoing his brother's words. And James traces the origin of these conflicts to your desires. 
the evil impulses that we've, we've already learned about in, in, in chapter 1. Uh, if you recall back in uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the desire uh, begins a progression. So our own selfish desires lead to giving into temptation, which leads to sin, which leads to death. And then James starts to hint at the root of the problem that people have turned their backs on God and have become friends of the world. But first, James addresses their communication with God. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. When you do ask and do not receive, it's because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your your passions, your desires. The the point is that even when James' readers did ask God for things, uh, they did not receive what they requested. Well, why? Because they asked wrongly. They asked with the wrong motives. Their purpose was to spend, using James' words, spend what they got for answers to their prayers on, on pleasures, passions, desires. Now, of course, the prodigal son is, is an example of one who spent his, his prayers in this way. He's Luke 15, 14, he, he says these audacious words to his father. Father, give me the share of inheritance that is coming to me. His father wasn't even close to dying. And it was that same desire of James's readers for pleasure that was warring within them and, and even leading them to try to use prayer as a way to meet those selfish desires. They wanted to gratify themselves at the expense of others. And they wanted to please themselves rather than please God. And because of this, James calls them adulterous people, verse 4. They're adulterous people because they have indulged in friendship with the world. Verses 4, 4 and 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says... He yearns jealously over, our, over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So this, this kind of behavior, the quarrels, the, the fighting, the selfish prayers, James has already described in, in chapter 3 as earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It, it's of the world, the flesh and the devil, as it, it's stated elsewhere in Scripture. And as, as Scripture plainly points out, we read in, in 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, many times, Scripture connects the world and Satan because, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the world can be defined as humanity in its sinful and fallen, fallen condition where it opposes God and its ways. So you, you can see the picture here. 
God, God has initiated a relationship with his people, and by his, his grace, he has called people to faith and, and reconciled people to himself at, at the cost of his son dying on the cross. And, and they have committed adultery by becoming friends with the world. So James is saying to his readers, you're adulterers. You, you have cheated on God, making yourselves enemies of God. They, they've chosen to imitate the ways of the world. They, they've chosen... Uh, the world's way of thinking and the world's way of acting instead of God's way. Uh, Friendship with the world is subscribing to the world's values about money, about fame, about success, about recognition, about power, uh, which will then cause uh, one to be envious and proud uh, or selfishly ambitious. Then will cause internal struggles which will then manifest itself in external quarrels and fights. This can happen in the church, it can happen in the home, in the workplace, in school, wherever people, wherever sinful people gather together. So this this spiritual adultery is very similar to the grievances God had against his chosen people, the Hebrews. We read about it all the time in the Old Testament. Uh, For example, God said to the prophet Jeremiah, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. I gave faithless, faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with, and the, um, the implication is that they made idols. They made idols of stone and wood. So God's people committing adultery against him is is a common theme in the Old Testament. But just as common, just as common is God's commitment to his people. Amen? Because God also said to his people in Jeremiah, he said, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I, I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, for I am your husband, and I will choose you. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So in verse 5 of today's passage, James describes this same God who is jealous for his people, where he says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in in us. God has made us spiritual beings, spiritual beings capable of having a relationship with him. And although broken by sin, our relationship can be restored through faith in Jesus Christ, God's son who died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. And God is is committed to us. He yearns jealously for us. Earlier, I mentioned the prodigal son from Luke 15. 
The son essentially committed adultery against his father. He broke the inheritance covenant. He squandered his wealth and his good name. And he crawled back to his father in desperation. He would have been content to have his father make him a, take him on as a hired servant. But we see that the father was waiting for his son. He even ran to his son when he saw him. He forgave him. He welcomed him back into the family. He threw a party and he rejoiced. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this is a picture of God's great love, his great mercy, his forgiveness, his grace. So James, after warning his readers that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, he reminds them that God yearns jealously over his people. And this this isn't an insecure jealousy where, where God is afraid we're going to find someone or something that's better than him. There is no one better than him. And there isn't anything better than a life with God. God's jealousy seeks what is best for you by by guarding our hearts from going astray. He tells us to run from the empty things of this world and, and cling to him in order to find all that we need in him. And we're able to cling to God. We're able to return to God despite our waywardness because of his grace. And and James doesn't just say that God gives grace. He said that God gives more grace. God gives more grace in verse 6. Now there's no doubt we can all admit that God places demands on us that might seem overwhelming at times. God demands loyalty. God demands obedience. Scripture describes God as a consuming fire. But God is merciful. He's gracious. He's all-loving. And he willfully and joyfully supplies all that we need to meet his demands. Augustine, in his confessions, wrote that God gives what he demands. God gives what he demands. But there is a requirement for the experience of his grace. And I'm not talking about the initial outpouring of unmerited grace that allowed you to come to faith in Christ in the first place. I'm not talking about that. James is talking about the grace is available to those who would return to him after straying. Those who would return to him after making Uh, breaking their friendship with the world. And this grace, this more grace, is given to the humble. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God's grace is available to those who humbly return to him. Um, This made me think, I've been a Christian for almost 30 years, and I've known either personally or or been aware of many folks who have have turned from God and and decided to make friends with the world. I don't understand it. Uh, They they became prideful in some way and and decided for some reason that they didn't need God in their lives anymore. But even though God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So I know 
And I believe and I pray that if any of those folks would just humbly return to God, I know that God would joyfully receive them. God would joyfully receive them back. And we, we praise God for that because he would joyfully receive us as well. In the next few verses, James lists a number of ways uh, that we can avoid giving, uh, giving in to the temptation of friendship with the world. The world as we defined it earlier, humanity and its sinful and fallen condition where it opposes God and his ways is described by the Apostle John where he says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, he says it's a world that offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, John says, but are from this world. And to resist that world, James offers a prescription. And the prescription is submit yourselves to God. So the question is, if God loves us with this jealous love, if, if God is our protector and our provider, as he, he proves over and over again, and if he uh, is faithful to us and can be trusted for our good, then why wouldn't we submit ourselves to God? Why wouldn't we submit ourselves to a God who's proven faithful so many times? And any, any parent who, whose child has gone astray, astray and, and rebelled against them or, or anyone who's had a friend betray them, they can understand to some degree where God's coming from here. And then James adds to his prescription. He says, draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Weep and mourn and turn. So hands represents actions here, and the heart represents attitudes. So for James, those in his churches who are are caught up in this bitter envy and selfish ambition, this quarreling and fighting, they need to stop their actions and change their attitudes and draw near, cleanse, purify, weep, mourn, and turn. These are all terms of confession and repentance. A a truly repentant person not only changes their attitudes and their actions, but they grieve, they anguish over any pain they may have have caused as they, they understand the effects of their envy and pride on God and others. And I I don't want to overlook what James said about the devil. He said in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So scripture describes the devil as being the ultimate source of temptation for envy and pride. And James has already pointed out that Satan is the source of the demonic wisdom that we read about in uh, chapter 3, verse 15. And that, that demonic wisdom works with the believer's own sinful nature to create the evil desires that lead to sin and death that we read about in verse I mean, chapter 1. So I want to make three points about verse 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So James assumes, he takes for granted that all believers will experience some kind of satanic 
temptation at one time or another. However, James knows that all believers have the power to resist the devil. We have the power to resist the devil. But most important, James is confident that when you do resist the devil, what did he say would happen? The devil would flee. He'd be forced to flee and leave you alone. And these, these should be encouraging words to us. The devil has already been defeated. It's a done deal. So James concludes his prescription in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. The verse points back to and reinforces verse 6 where James wrote, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this, this kind of humility before God is to acknowledge how spiritually weak we are, which leads us to recognize how desperately we need God's help through his spirit and to see that it's good for us. It's good for us to submit our lives to God's will. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. And, and we see this, this kind of humility in the parable of the tax collector who just anguishes over his sin, and he pleads to God for his mercy. And Jesus responds by declaring him justified or right with God. He says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 18, 14. One commentator said that, that this saying was a, a popular motto in the early church. And the, the same message is, is echoed in a number of places in, in the New Testament. The point seems to be that yours and my spiritual liveliness or, or spiritual vitality or, or any spiritual victory comes not through our own feeble efforts, but through total and complete dependence on God. And if you don't think that complete dependence on God could be a reality for you, then James would say, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And if you do ask, God will come near to you. He will lift you up. God will not leave a humble heart mourning. He will accept your repentance. He will respond with his love. And he will raise you up from your mourning and into his loving arms. Amen? Amen. Amen.